Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball, brought to you by Soccer America and Ticket IQ. You know, these are incredibly difficult times. As a nation, we continue to struggle and grasp with how to deal with this terrible pandemic that is sweeping across the nation, across the world, really. So uh, I hope this finds you, all of our listeners out there, healthy and well. And of course, practicing safe isolation so we can uh, take on this outbreak as a country and get back to normal, our normal everyday lives eventually. I'm Kevin Flynn alongside, well, actually not alongside Carell Hallett and Sam Griswold, as we too here at Over the Ball are practicing self-isolation. We're, uh, we're keeping our distance uh, from each other, as we always do, guys. Uh, but guys, how are you faring in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak? My, girl ha- my girlfriend has me quarantined and living in the basement, even though I haven't been exposed, and we don't have a basement. It's, uh, it's rough, I tell you. Guys, what are you over right now this week? Uh, well, I'm especially over reading all these transfer rumors that are floating around right now. Uh, I mean, I think this stuff is silly in the best of times. Yeah. But, you know, and I know people need things to worry about and get excited about, et cetera. But to see, you know, numbers being floated like 100 million pounds for Jaden Sancho or however much for Mbappe Neymar. Uh, not that the clubs are fueling any of this, but it just it seems – Slightly like it might not be the right time, considering all the financial trouble people are going through. Yeah, it does seem pretty pathetic, I guess. But I guess everyone has their little sector that they have to worry about. I guess your point is, why does it get so much press uh, in the best of times, never mind in the worst of times? So, uh, yeah, it seems pretty inconsequential. I I did read about Barcelona players have uh, taken a huge pay cut. Millions, Messi, is uh, Mm -hmm. is giving back. So uh, it's good that they have a social conscience. They should report that more than what the transfer rumors are. Grail, what's bugging you this, this day, this week? I am over the Belarus League, which I've decided to uh, rename the Irresponsible League. Um, I can't even believe they're, they're continuing to play, and uh, the fact that TV networks around the globe are clamoring to air these games is the height of cravenness in my mind so oh god sam wasn't that grails last week as well i think i don't think he was over it at the beginning of the show but he was by the end by the Uh, end it was you know that's it i'm not watching any more belarus soccer on tv a good point grail i mean sports networks from 10 countries i think it's yeah russia israel india or three that have you know signed broadcasting deals in the last spending money get these games on um yeah, pretty shocking. That's pathetic. That's like Florida not shutting down. It's ridiculous. You're, yes. you're, you're risking people's lives, and uh, it's unfortunate because this is a time when the world should come together. So, uh, all right, so that's some good things to, uh, to uh, piss and moan about, as they say. Uh, you know, our guest today, actually, you know, uh, this week, he's been a guest before on OTB, but this is a guy who makes a difference. His name's Reed Fox. He's been a guest on Over the Ball before, as I said, and uh, he's the program manager of Homeless World Cup and the director of soccer, uh, Street Soccer USA. So uh, God makes us, uh, what we do, seem so inconsequential sometimes. So they really do really great work in normal times, um, especially life is tough for the homeless, but during these difficult times, uh, can we imagine how life can get even more difficult for, uh, for that most vulnerable of our population? And once again, New York City is ground zero for, uh, for the country, uh, just as it was in 9-11, the hardest hit, the first hit. And it's incredibly uplifting to see people like Reed who unselfishly are doing their part to alleviate some of the suffering that uh, some of our most vulnerable uh, citizens have to endure. You know, I sent out guys a, a picture. I don't know if you saw it on my, on our Instagram account, the over the wall Instagram account. Mm-hmm. My, my niece is a nurse, She's tw- 23 years old. She's an oncology nurse in New York city. who has been working 14 hours a day, uh, six days a week, testing and treating people with coronavirus. So, uh, like I said, it's times like these that you begin to truly see what's important in life and appreciate the people who are so uh, unselfishly putting themselves in hard harm's way for the uh, the service of others. So, any event, uh, our hats uh, go out to people uh, like my niece Cassie and Reed, yep. who make it their life's work to uh, to help others. You know, my dad used to say, "You can be part of the problem, or you can be part of the solution." You know, I'd co- I'd complain about a coach or something, and he'd be like, "All right." That guy works for that guy's donating his time. Least you can do is give your best effort. You know, uh, be part yeah. of be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And it wasn't until college, actually, I thought my dad made these sayings up. 
And I'm like, oh, my, that's my dad said that. And he goes, uh, Kevin, I think it was actually Churchill. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> he, he must have heard it from my dad, I guess. So, uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, this, this Belarus thing is ridiculous just for money. I mean, people are going to televise the only – well, you know, it speaks to the strength of this game, yeah. actually, how people just need to have it. It's like an addiction. It just speaks to the, the – uh, the, at, at all costs, getting content for a certain segment of the population that can't live without soccer. And, look, the three of us love soccer as much as anybody. Uh, do I, of course I miss it. But the fact that I would go out and actually, you know, pay to watch the Belarus League, which stands alone in defiance of all the world norms – is just crazy to me. It's just, let's it's just be honest. It's wrong. It's just wrong to support that. It's uh, it's wrong in them. And let's be honest. We could probably all play in the Belarus league. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. You know, but um, but also uh, you know, at the countries that are signing up for it, I think ought to be ashamed of themselves. I think India is one. Russia. Israel is one. Russia. Russia. No Russia. Russia's like no the, big the, surprise. The, yeah, they're like the bad guys of the world, uh, basically. Yeah. But, um, of course, they sign up for it. But, you know, why? Because it's like, okay, r- risk your population because we're not playing because we don't want to risk our citizens. But you morons are going to do it. So we're, we're going to televise it and give you money for it. So Exactly. Fortunate. So, you know, I, you know, we talk about it, guys. We are all addicted to the soccer and love to see it. But I've been getting my yayas out and, and watching these uh, these games, these, you know, great games that uh, NBC is showing and MLS is showing. Um, the U.S. Uh, you know national team games that they're putting on there, shortened yeah. versions. That's we we get our fix. It's it's great. You know, it's watching the other night. Uh, it was at Liverpool Arsenal. I think that when Liverpool won five zip, when they really started to really turn the, the corner. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. all the different faces on Liverpool that yeah. didn't make it: Emery uh, Chan and um, just a bunch of people. Klein, uh, Nathaniel Klein. You know, they're all gone. They're all yeah. back all over the league. You really see how Klopp sort of just kept fine-tuning his team till he got the players that he wanted. Yeah, and now they're and now it's all come to a screeching halt. So which will be which will be interesting how this all ends up, right? It, it, I mean, you know, was that fun to watch a five-nothing game? You can't find a more competitive game to put on. I mean, I missed that one the first time around <laughs> and the second time around. But. Sorry it wasn't Syria, ah, Sam, but it was it was good. It was good to see uh some play because I thought Arsenal played pretty well. It's just this game is so they were interesting. Run over. It, it was it was just counterattack after counterattack, right? I, it was that I just felt like Liverpool just went up the pitch with like three passes and scored. Bing, 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 goal. Bing, bing, nah, bing. I thought goal. it was evenly matched early, and then you yeah. know it's just so funny when you see a goal scored and how everybody either comes back and fights, but that second one and then the third one just puts a dagger in your heart, and, and then people give up. You remember uh, you remember Brazil in the World Cup against Germany? Oh. It was like what guys? You're, seven. You're, that was seven, correct? Yeah, and they just quit playing. It just is that was that was maybe the most humiliating loss I've ever witnessed because we're talking about Brazil. Right. Brazil right. being on the receiving end of that. And and by the way, did Germany look clinical in that match or what? Was that oh, just unbelievable? That's when Germany becomes even more clinical, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I used to tell the story. I was I had recorded the game. And I think I was at Sirius then, working at Sirius XM uh, FC. And uh, the game, I didn't want to see it, so I was rushing back. I got some food and everything. was rushing back to the apartment um, to watch the game. But there is, in the Upper West Side, there's this, um, this grocery store that has this, uh, this, these, this, an African tribe, one tribe in Africa. They all come over. There's like... 10 people from the same tribe that work in this, this store and they speak their native tongue and it's an African language. And I knew something was up because I didn't mean to mock the language, but they were basically like the woman was checking me out my food and she's talking to her, the person who's bagging. She's like, Brazil. Oh, Brazil. she's holding her head. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even know what they're saying, but something's going on. I got to get back to my apartment. And when I get home, you know, I'm like, I check it out. It's, it's like five nils so far. And I'm like, oh, yeah. everybody knew, the whole world knew. Um, and even through a, a language barrier, I knew something, had, something really strange had happened. So. And it was total capitulation by Brazil. I mean, they honestly gave up. They totally gave up. David Luiz was in tears before the game was even over. 
Yeah, but he was in he was in tears before the game started because he was holding up Neymar's shirt and everything. And I'm like, hey, guys, I don't remember that. I don't remember hey, that. Guys, I like, in a way, it's a, it's a, you know, hey, look, we're a bunch of men out there. Come on, somebody gets hurt. It's part of the package with what we play. We all get hurt. Uh, get get up there, man. You I just felt like we were at, we were at Lourdes or something, right? They had like right. Neymar, and there was like they 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 were basically there was like a memorial to right, Neymar which as is, if he had been killed. Right. I thought it was just ridiculous. So anyway, Sam, to answer your question, uh, we, I've enjoyed watching these games. Sam's always like the, the, the malcontent in the corner going, yeah, it's going to blow up. Watch this. Uh, he'll never make it. He's going to drown. Uh, he'll never make it. <laughs> so, anyway. Hey, so guys, so uh, some good news coming out of uh, this whole terrible situation that we're in, this world pandemic. Uh, FIFA, a place where most of us are used to good news not ever coming out. Uh, they uh, have plans to to tap into their two point seven billion dollar cash reserve and perhaps create an emergency fund to support the ailing soccer industry. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, gents? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good news. I think it's about time. Uh, they clearly have plenty of money to spread exactly. around. I, you know, as usual, they've not really outlined how it's going to happen. Um, they haven't been too forthcoming about that. And we're not even sure it's going to happen. But, um, yeah, I think it's great that they're stepping up. It turns out it'll probably be their, their FIFA uh, executive salaries that they need to protect. During That's these probably times. half of their actual cash reserves because the idea that they would be transparent about anything is uh, I, I just can't, I can't even fathom. But uh, good, good for them to put it out there. And uh, and why not? Why save it? What, what are you going to save it for? Yeah, yeah. What's your rainy day if not this one yeah, here? You, so, uh, so as you said though, Grell, it may be guys that it's just a PR move, but let's hope not because this is a, a really serious time in the world. So, uh, so this could be a good thing that they sort of try and uh, you know because like you said we were always used to bad news coming out of fifa it's ne they never do the right thing it seems just try um, to stabilize the patient i'm sure it's you know it ends up being almost like a loan that they'll get paid back on i mean i, I have no right. idea what the terms would be but why not i mean the sport is you know a month from now could just be on the verge of losing dozens of teams well, we talked about it last week. Look, sports, uh, you know, in the scope of things don't always really matter that much. I mean, but, it, you know, here as Americans, we talked about after 9-11, uh, you know, people were going back into the comedy clubs after a couple of weeks to, you know, it's how we deal with things. We're going to baseball games, the president throwing out a pitch. This is how we uh, recover as a country through our sports and through our entertainment. And yet with this particular uh, outbreak it's sort of done a double i was saying to a friend of mine last night it's it's almost like 9-11 but also like when there was the polio outbreak in this country and and people couldn't get together um our community so it's it's really it's really a difficult time that's why guys you know to to segue into this next thing about european cups could be completed in july and august to some of the reporting coming out of uh across the pond what are your thoughts on that it seems like it just can't happen i think it's so far-fetched i i just again i i get the kind of wishful thinking part of it that you want to keep people engaged and hopeful and all that but the other side of me just says you know just be real just just shut it down in my mind this is me i don't think there's going to be any soccer this summer uh and for the epl for instance, I would just bring them back in the fall and I would finish this season at the start of what was going to be the new season and then take a short break and then start the new season and continue it into next year and finish it when it finishes. But yeah. uh, I, I just can't see anything happening in the next few months. Yeah, I think so. You know, first of all, the, the Premier League's been apparently talking about playing all the remaining games. I don't know how many that is, but in June, um, not using VAR because that means too many people in a confined space uh, and using five substitutions mm -hmm. uh, and trying to get all those games in, yeah, in just a month, which – I, yeah, I just think at this point, like this season has a huge asterisk next to it, right? I mean, it's just been so heavily conditioned. I mean, what, you know, at what point is it better just to let it go, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but there would be a good, don't you think, Sam, there would be kind of a unifying spirit of if, if you came back healthy in the fall, let's say, mm -hmm. and you did complete the season, like there would be some closure, like the way the season was supposed to end, it's a little different and artificial and whatever. But you finish the season, Liverpool's crowned the champion, 
and then you just uh, and then you just reboot. You take maybe a week break, and then you just start the new season. To me, I don't know. To me, that would feel good. There would be something. There'd be a finality, and then there would be a, a start to something. Yeah, I like that a lot better than trying to jam yeah. all the games into thirty yeah. days. Um, because you have to talk about people's health. You know, it's yeah. just ridiculous. And I think maybe you start it in the fall. How about you play? You play a certain amount of games. You basically play till Liverpool clinches the league, and then whatever the whatever the. the but but then but then you've got the then you've got the you know the top four, and then you got the top six, and if, if you stop it, then you could be stopping movement. You know. Up yeah, but the, you got to stop it eventually, unless you play all the games. So I'm saying no, like that's a, you got nine games. You got essentially nine to ten games left. So you could you could play it over. You know that cuts into the season, but then you just run it through next year. They should actually, you know, use it maybe as their preseason. But and those teams that are trying to be relegated or getting to the to top four should yeah. you know, probably put out more or something. I don't know. There's no perfect solution. So just uh, another note: the the Belgian league, you know, taking the opposite of the Belarusian approach, uh, is the first European league to completely shut down. They've canceled the rest of the season. Uh, gave the title to the team who's currently ahead by 15 points. That's Club Bruges. Okay. Um, they haven't figured out how the relegation and promotion is going to work, but yeah. So we'll yeah, see. That, well, like that, you just got to make a decision like that because yeah. I mean, you're talking about the health and well-being of people and the general, general population. So I don't care if you don't have it. We, we talked about this last week about how players are infecting each other. If they're out there, we used to talk about, Oh, the players will play and then the fans won't come and that'll cut it down. Cause it won't be big. Well, you know, look at what happened in the NBA and that one Russian, I'm not Russian, but the Italian team. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's irresponsible, I think, to talk this way. I know that, you know, look, I run an event myself, the, the comedy festival. It's in July, and um, we haven't officially canceled, but I, I am hard-pressed every day to figure out how it's actually going to work. I, I don't see a way it can work. So uh, I don't know how they, they are as well. So, uh, Grail, your beloved EPL, though, um, they're also the players uh, are taking some flack from politicians. What's that all about? Um, I'm not actually familiar with that funny. You are, oh, I thought anything at EPL, you'd be all no, over it. No, I'm no, like, I, God, it's like, I, I, uh, I'm not on that. What, what's the, what's Chelsea's the, in the EPL. No, guess, what's the guff they're taking? I, I, bet, just, I bet you Sam knows about it. I do know a little bit about this. Um, the clubs in general have been taking some heat from politicians and, you know, policymakers for not bearing more of the financial burden during the crisis. Uh, they've also some clubs have been putting their you know non full time staff or sorry not you know top earning staff on mm-hmm. what's called a furlough I guess in the UK, which means uh, the government steps in and covers I think eighty percent of their salaries, but uh, they're not wow. doing that with the players and continuing to pay them the full amount. Um, you know things are changing so quickly that as I say this and you listen to it, you know it may have already changed. Um, but they, uh, the clubs were taking some heat for, you know, not stepping up, reducing the salaries of their, you know, top earners, and, you know, you know it's, it's interesting to take heat from politicians because if their politicians are anything like ours, our politicians, you know, one term and they get a pension for life, uh, yeah. they're, they're fully covered medically. So, uh, you know, it, it's funny, these guys have a finite amount of time they can play ball, but most of them are millionaires. But it seems to me, we talked about Barcelona a little bit, Messi and, and you know, giving back millions of dollars. Ronaldo did the same thing. Yeah, uh, they're socially fair. conscious. They're, they're doing it. They're giving back. So uh, maybe the politicians can take less money, too. So we'll see if, uh, yeah. if that actually So I, I do. Up. I have a question based on this, which is about MLS, to talk domestically a little bit. And I don't know the MLS very well and how it's structured. But uh, I wonder if it's not in a slightly more advantageous position than the European leagues because of how it's structured and controlled uh, to take on something like this, where I feel like in Europe, the clubs have more autonomy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think probably there's more central, uh, you know, sort of uh, there's the infrastructure is sort of centralized. So um, plus they don't have the outrageous salaries. That right. Some of the, some of the you know, do. So um, it would probably, seem on paper to be more manageable just because uh, it's smaller. And I think smaller is more manageable, basically. You know, the bigger you get, the bigger the salaries you get, the more unwieldy it is. But, you know, like anything, Sam, I just think over, you know, a month is like a year in this this current situation. And everything can change a month from now. They could be very stable right now. And a month from now, it could be a totally different story. But I know, you know, Don, Don Garber and Mark Abbott and the, the brass at MLS are all taking uh, major pay cuts. 
and they're doing the right thing. And all the, all the leagues around the world seem to be following at least that same model, which is, which is commonsensical, right? Speaking of models, uh, Swedish models. What's what's going on in in Sweden, uh, Sam? I think the seventh tier team. They had to call off their game. Yeah, they shouldn't so have been playing in the first place, right? Speaking of uh, you know people being starved for soccer and gambling, um, this was a friendly that was supposed to take place about a week ago um, between two seven tier Swedish sides. Oh, amazed! There's seven tiers tier. in Sweden. <laughs> um, God. That's like a kindergarten team, I think. <laughs> the game had to be called off. Again, it was only a friendly, but it got listed on a couple bookmakers' websites, and people just started what? flocking to it and contacting the players, and it just turned into a nightmare. Uh, you know, from all around the world, people, you know, getting into this game. So, uh, yeah, it got, it got called off ultimately. But, yeah, in Sweden, um, the – the restrictions are a little bit more lax. So, you know, they're apparently <laughs> able to try to play a game. Anyway. Oh God. It's funny, like I would think of Sweden as being very socially responsible. That really flies in the face of my impression of Sweden. Yeah. Belarus, different story. <laughs> Sweden. Yeah. You'd think, you'd think so. But again, we, as we've been talking about here, um, People act crazy when they're talking about soccer. So, uh, all right, let's take a break here, guys. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to uh, Reed Fox. He is uh, doing a real street soccer USA and then the homeless world cup, uh, doing some really great stuff. Uh, we need to hear from a guy like him at times like this. So you're listening to over the ball. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Over the Ball, everybody. OTB is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for Soccer America's pro membership. It includes Soccer America Daily, Soccer on TV, Game Report, Soccer Talk, and SA Confidential. Today's show is also brought to you by Ticket IQ. Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. Go to TicketIQ.com and download their app at iTunes or Google Play. And after you've registered, you can refer friends and get $10 off on a ticket to something you probably can't go to right now <laughs> until until the spring because nobody's going to anything. Well, our guest today, really looking forward to uh, to getting caught up with our friend here. He's been on the show before. Um, he was recruited and then cut by the University of Massachusetts. There's got to be a story behind that because uh, uh, Grail actually says he's uh, he's got game, man. He's so, a better uh, player than you ever were, Flynn. Really? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, we'll have to ask him about that. So uh, – <laughs> He's also he's turned that into a great thing. He's doing some really great work out there. He's the head of New York City. He's a program manager of the Homeless World Cup and director for Street Soccer USA. Welcome back to the show, Reed Fox. Reed, how are you? I'm hanging in there, man. It's good to be back with you guys. So, so uh, you know, I played at UMass. Uh, Sam, Sam had some sort of, I don't know, shady kind of exit out of UMass. We're not sure what happened. Um, but, uh, but Grail says you're a hell of a player. So what, what was the story with UMass? You got game? Did you say well, something to the coach? What, what? You know, his downfall started after I got cut. So could be you, something that. Were you with the team when they were going to the Final Four? Remember, there were no scholarships. UMass went to the Final Four. That was uh, pretty absurd. But uh, Correct. And, uh, no, that was four years before I was a freshman. Mm -hmm. But, uh, obviously, I knew about that. And uh, they didn't have many scholarships when I was there either, which was, uh, I think, part of the issue. But, uh, you know, I played on small clubs my whole life. And uh, my parents didn't have the money to send me two hours to a big academy club. So uh, I wasn't really exposed to high-level competition. I was always kind of the big fish in a little pond. And uh, when I got up to UMass, I think I was just a little overwhelmed. I think uh, I was lacking some, some confidence. And uh, as a goal scorer, you know, it's not yeah. ideal. That's a, that's a humble man. That's a, what a sweet answer that is. My God, I'd be like, uh, the coach is a loser and he yeah. totally we, couldn't see my great we abilities. Had, we had philosophical differences. <laughs> I always like that one from guys who don't make the team. <laughs> I like small fish in a, in a big pond. Grail was a small fish in a small pond, so it was an interesting time. <laughs> so, Reed, talk to us about SSUSA's mission. And, and boy, these are difficult times for everybody. Uh, but the population you deal with, especially, this has got to be 
doubly hard. Uh, how are you dealing with it? How are you getting along? Yeah, totally. So, you know, at Street Soccer USA, we're in 14 cities around the country using soccer to empower communities and, and fight poverty. Um, and so we're working in the most at-risk communities, low-income neighborhoods, youth of all ages in those neighborhoods and their families, homeless individuals, individuals experiencing drug rehab, uh, refugees, um, you know, these most at-risk individuals who, who can really benefit from the power of the community surrounding soccer um, and being part of a team and a, and a really positive community. Um, so obviously most of the work that we do is direct services and we can't do that right now with the virus happening. So um, it's been a pretty big challenge for us to kind of maintain our momentum and our connections in those communities. Um, but we have several things in place that we're trying to keep the ball rolling and, and stay in touch and, and help out our, our participants and their families the best that we can. Well, soccer is, is such a thing that can really bring people together. But what's so wonderful about this is it brings our most vulnerable populations together with something that, uh, that everyone loves. This isn't a soccer question per se, but, you know, you know mainstream uh, people are struggling right now with what to do and where to go and, and where to be. Uh, do you know anything about the homeless population? Is New York City especially doing anything in particular for the homeless population right now? Um, I don't want to get... Too critical. Um, Be critical. But, Go for it. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're certainly not doing enough. And you can imagine that in homeless shelters where people have nowhere to go and they're in constant close right. contact that the virus spreads like wildfire. And there's been over 100 cases already confirmed in shelters. And you got to think that number is a lot higher from unconfirmed right. cases. Um, a lot of the workers are getting sick and there's just nowhere for them to go. And you have 90% vacancy in hotels around the city where it'd be a pretty simple solution if you ask me to quarantine sick, almost invulnerable individuals, but. Reed, I know a great hotel that might be open. Maybe one of the Trump establishments. We'll see what happens if that can get in there. I don't know, we won't get political, but it was like. Would that be? <laughs> yeah, that would be very ironic. Grail, you have a question? Yeah, I mean, Reed, it, it seems like the homeless community uh, I'm not comparing them to the prison population, but from the standpoint of just the proximity to one another, you know, and the, the inability to separate and stuff, it just must be, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It must be very frightening for people within that community, you know, the lack of much, options, lack of exactly. options. Exactly. Well, so yeah. how much of, how much of your role is just, you know, education and just frankly, almost like psychological support, like just, just helping people get through the day. Yeah, I mean, isolation is one of the biggest negatives that that community faces already. Mm -hmm. You know, they're uh, stigmatized and they're often, you know, they're not talking to people throughout the day. It's not like they've got, you know, a million people they're talking to and uh, for us, I think that's something we take for granted is our social connectivity. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm talking to my players every day or every other day. They're calling me, they're FaceTiming me, they're texting me. And yeah, part of my role now is just to kind of play a, you know, mental coach and, you know, help them get through every day. And uh, they're isolated as it is. So just to try to be a positive influence and somebody they can reach out to and and be there for you know yeah and get, give us a sense of where your players are just physically so that our listeners get a sense of you know they come together to play in the various events that you have but where, in between that where are they what are they doing give us a, a, a sense of that well a lot of the players do work okay. um on my team about 80 percent of them do work so we schedule practices and games around uh, their work schedules as best we can. Um, but I mean, if, if you're not working, a lot of them are just in the shelter all day. Depends on the shelter, the sleeping quarters, but oftentimes it is somewhat like prison where you got just 60 cots in a big room uh, or you have two guys in a room or you have three guys in a room. You never really uh, know what it is. Each shelter is different, but for sure, they're always in close proximity with other guys. And as you mentioned, there's there's nowhere for them to go. They have a 10 p.m. curfew at, at all shelters. So they've got to be in by 10. And uh, otherwise, they lose their bed. Pam? 
Yeah. Uh, so Reed, it seems like, you know, you know, we, there's a lot of talk in the soccer world right now, about you know, when is the Premier League going to come back? You know, what, what's going to happen with the Euro? And, you know, what you're talking about seems to be the extreme on the other end. Um, but I'm just wondering if you have a general sense of, you know, you know, when recreational soccer and sports in general, like might return and what that's going to look like, uh, you know, people like us trying to go out and play, for example. Yeah, I mean, I'm packing on some pounds over here, you know, amateur soccer is the only thing that keeps me fit. Um, so it's been tough for everybody, you know, and um, I think it's going to be at least six weeks or eight weeks or two months. And one thing at street soccer we try to do is, you know, we host a lot of these events in huge premier tournaments uh, through the summer. We're trying not to cancel any events, um, just delay them until a later date. So people know, you know, we still have this event to look forward to and get involved in. Um, so we're not just going to cancel events outright and we're hoping, you know, this will subside sooner than later, as long as people follow their protocols. Uh, I love the fact that Sam just made, turned you into Dr. Fauci uh, with when we're going to be able to start <laughs> playing again. But, but, but I will say this, you know, it, here we are, Reed, we're all struggling with, you know, talking about putting on a few pounds or, you know, staying fit and what you do with these individuals gets them out into society, functioning with other people socially, uh, keeping them you know, physically fit as well. And I'm sure that there's a mental component to that as well, getting out, getting around, feeling useful. So um, it's, it's actually much more important than, than, than us staying fit. But, um, but yeah, none of us know when we can get out of our cages, but imagine uh, being a person with no options and that's one of the bright spots in their lives and it's been taken away. So uh, hopefully, you know, we're talking to just digress a little bit. I was looking at some, um, some research. They talked about testing is so important because what there are people who are asymptomatic who don't show that they have it and they, they've had it. People who have had it need to be certified that they've had it. They need their antibodies, but they also can go back into society and start working. So the fact that a lack of testing has hurt mainstream society, never mind uh, the people on the margins like Reed has been talking about. Uh, Grail? Yeah, I'm sure also, Reed, just from, from a nonprofit perspective, you know, fundraising is so important for you guys. And I'm just wondering if, if you, you know, th th there obviously are just inherent challenges with that because it's, uh, it's such a difficult time for everyone. So it's kind of like, is there a good time to really push people for, you know, uh, to donate? Etc. I'm just curious. I know that's probably not directly what you do, but kind of what you see from that perspective, you know, from Lawrence, you know, Lawrence can the head of the organization and what they're dealing with from just, you know, getting the monies coming in. Yeah. So it's kind of multi-layered. One thing is uh, we all kind of pitch in with fundraising. And so, you know, I finished a grant application yesterday. I'm writing another one today. That's one thing we're doing in quarantine. Um, we rely heavily on a lot of part-time coaches and we have site managers in each of our communities who are really the touch point. And one thing that separates us, I think, from other nonprofits is that we have these people who are deeply rooted in the communities, connected to not only our players, but their families, their brothers, sisters, moms, dads, connecting them to social services. Um, and so those people we might not have the funding to support throughout this whole thing. So that's one thing we're doing is, um, you know, trying to drum up some funds so we can make sure that all of our part-time and half-time staff um, can still get paid and still provide support that these at-risk communities really need. And, and I think that's one thing that really separates our organization from, from others. In the richest nation in the world, in a, in a place where uh, cruise ships and airlines are trying to get money. And these are people in the streets who, uh, for a lot less money, uh, can be much more impactful. Um, guys, Graham? How, how, how about the social media outreach, Reed? It seems that this USA is, is, has always been very ahead of the curve in terms of that and you know, connecting via social media and SS. USA TV. Can you just talk about some of those initiatives that you've probably ramped up even further to just keep keeping those bonds um, connected? Totally. We try to be innovative and engaging on our social media platforms. We're on, you know, everything under the sun. Um, and we're trying to leverage some of our ambassadors. We had Jimmy Conrad go live on our, on our Instagram the other day. Um, Every single day at three o'clock, we've had one of our coaches 
go on our Facebook Live. We're doing what we call Street Soccer TV, which has been a lot of fun. I'm on there on Tuesdays hosting a little trivia soccer game show where I get some fitness punishments involved. And, uh, you know, so we're trying to have fun with it and we're trying to be engaging with our communities, um, providing videos for our kids, um, stuff that they can do at home, fitness workouts, soccer drills they can do at home. So we're trying to get as much content out there for, you know, as, as diverse a population as we can. That's smart. If you look what's going on in the world right now, it basically, you know, how this whole uh, pandemic outbreak will change a lot of things. You know, talking about a lot of the kids are going to school now, um, you know, on their computers virtually. And so this is a natural progression for, you know, your outreach to people is, uh, you know, to get them exercises and drills and things. And maybe we can, you know, turn this into a win in, in certain ways. Um, Sam, do you have anything you want to ask him? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I mean, we'll talk about the homeless world cup a little bit. Cause did that have to get pushed back or what's, what's the deal with that? Sadly. Yeah. The homeless world cup was supposed to be hosted in Tampere, Finland at the end of June and they canceled the event this year. Um, so sadly, you know, we planned that five, six months out, start picking teams and working on getting, getting documents for our players. So we'd already notified our players that they were going to attend the tournament. And so, um, that was kind of a huge bummer for them, and I felt really bad for, for the men and women we had going. But um, we're going to give them the opportunity to participate in the next Homeless World Cup whenever that's going to happen. So they'll still have something to look forward to. So you basically people try out, and then, and then you subsidize them to fly to wherever the games are, put them up, and all that? I mean, is that what you do, Reed? Yeah, so the way it works, the Homeless World Cup is its own nonprofit organization. They provide all the food and housing accommodations for the tournament. Each country has to provide travel insurance and flights um, and all the travel costs associated. So the way we organize our teams, which is kind of contentious, it's a little bit different. Then. Tryouts are always contentious, Reed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, here I am with three guys who got cut. That's what, you know, here, you're still in the game. <laughs> well, so what's contentious uh, about our method is that we don't have tryouts on the soccer field. Our tryouts are based on off-the-field goals. So our program managers oh, around the wonderful. country, they nominate players based on how they're doing off the field, not necessarily our best soccer players. Um, so we use the homeless world cup as a reward for our players who are, oh, that's a read. That's a little known fact. That's, that's really amazing. No, that's awesome. That really yeah. is because you know, you got, you could have some guy who's a goal scorer and he's a, a, a ringer and he's, uh, you know, not living a good life or not, not, uh, hitting the goal markers or the mile markers that you're asking him to, to, you know, better his life. Yeah. And you know, not every country looks at it that way, which is kind of the contention I mentioned. Uh, you know, a lot of teams take it really seriously and really go there to win it. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's not us. If we win great, we bring competitive players a lot of the times and we try to win every game we play. Um, but you know, we're not having international incidences and yeah, yeah. guys yeah. out, you know, breaking rules and things like that. So, we want it to be a reward and a, a positive experience. That's, for, that's for really awesome. Life. Well, the, the U.S. men's national team doesn't do so well. So when our homeless team goes over there, <laughs> nobody's really expecting much of us. Unless, unless of course, they're playing the Burhalter system, as Grail yeah. likes to call it. So, uh, so, so Reed, the, the plan would be to go back to Finland in 2021? I don't believe so. Oh, okay. I can't say 100%, but... Um, I'm pretty sure that no, because they've already selected the 2021, which oh, we don't know yet, but I would assume they usually have it planned out a year or two in advance. Okay. Um, so I think Finland's next. Huh. Reed, Reed talk to us a little bit about your experiences in Tanzania. Uh, what, what, what is that all about? Yeah. So when I, uh, left UMass, I met a German guy named Jurgen who was running sort of a small um soccer club in tanzania oh that's probably that was probably jurgen klinsman after he left the u.s national team that's where he wound up <laughs> yeah he had nothing better to do but yeah uh, so yeah so i met this guy online and i was always interested in sport for social change my whole life and i wrote my thesis about it in college and so i went down to tanzania along with a few other volunteers and 
we kind of built this little club into a massive organization. We got founded as an NGO down there. Um, we expanded from just soccer to basketball, volleyball, and netball as well. Um, we build sports centers in Wanza, Tanzania. We train coaches and we provide them with the equipment they need to run sustainable sports clubs. Um, and the first year we were down there, um, we managed a Tanzanian Premier League club, which was one of the most wild experiences uh, oh, goodness. of my life. You think the MLS oh. is, is weird? <laughs> <laughs> this league was really? insane. How do you do the how do you get the uniform? Did uh, did a, a manufacturer donate the kits? How does stuff like as simple as that work? They we had some just very basic old kits they were wearing, um, and then eventually we did bring in a sponsor. The second half of the year, one of our Austrian coaches brought in a sponsor, and we got new kits. But uh, the kits were the least of our concern. <laughs> I bet. You know, I was telling you before we got on air about uh, Mark Noonan and his experience in Guyana. You know, it was it was just crazy running the Premier League there. And it was, uh, you know, death threats and stuff blowing up and, you know, threat upon threat. And finally he left, you know, so it's uh, but, you know, you talk about social change and having an impact on people's lives. You know, I know a friend of mine, you know, works within the Native American community in the United States and the best way to get uh, the populace and the kids involved is through athletics. It's the thing that really connects them. They come from far out in the, in the reservations to the, to the centers to play, to play sports. Um, so this is how you, you, uh, I, you know, look, even just on a personal level, what it does did for all of our lives here on this show, uh, sports. So you can imagine our most vulnerable, um, what it does for them. So well, what's next for you, Reed? You seem um, like you got a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire there. You're helping a lot of people. What, what, what's next for you? I love to stay busy. I'm all over the place. I have a lot of ideas. I like to get things done, you know. Um, and so our next huge project in Tanzania is we're starting a recycled ball factory. So right. in, that's a, in, I'm seeing my doctor for the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that. Recycle don't even, balls. Don't even, don't even listen to him, Reed. Don't even, don't, don't laugh. Do not laugh. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to touch that one. But uh, <laughs> don't touch my ball. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so you know, most of the pitches in Tanzania are complete garbage. They're rocks. There's rivers. There's goats walking through the pitches, uh, and so the balls just get destroyed easily. Um, and so there's just dozens, hundreds of balls that get used every month, you know. And uh, so our idea is sort of a social enterprise uh, opportunity is to turn those balls and work with a leather tannery and make keychains, bags, uh, things like that, that we can then sell across the world and raise funds that go back into our programming. We can employ local people in Tanzania to make the goods and then we can use our massive network. We've had over 120 volunteers from 15 different countries in the last five years since we started. So um, you have a pretty national, international reach. Um, and so that's one new thing we're gonna try and see how it goes. Good for you. Can you make so you're still allowed in the country, despite the experience? Uh, yes, although we do have one volunteer who has an uh, international warrant and is not allowed in the country. After some Internet, that sounds cool. I'd love to have one of those. That sounds <laughs> fun, man. Make me sound like James Bond. I have an international warrant. So. so, Reed, if people want to contribute to your wonderful organization, how do they do that? Yeah, on Sports Charity Monza, you can check us out online on, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, and on our website, you'll see. Well, we uh, great. Uh, read, s spell that word. Sports charity. Yeah, it's sports charity Mwanza. M W A N Z A. That's the second biggest city in Tanzania, and that's the city that that we operate in. So you'll see we have a few different fundraising campaigns going there. Um, we're all run by volunteers. We have two local paid staff who make a very small salary. And other than that, we're all international volunteers who run the organization. So donations go. 100% into directly into the work in Tanzania, which I think is pretty rare. And how about Street Soccer USA? In Street Soccer USA, it's a bit easier to get in touch with us. Yep. Um, 
also online and on our website, streetstalkerusa.org, on Facebook, Instagram, at streetstalkerusa. Um, it's very easy to donate uh, to our programming there, and, and we need it now more than ever. Um, okay, well, um, yeah, so our listeners out there, all eight of them, um, please help out. And uh, Reed, uh, boy, you make what I feel like what I do so inconsequential, uh, but you're doing the great work out there. You're on the front lines, and uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Reed Fox, he's the uh, New York City Adult Program Manager and Homeless World Cup Director for Street Soccer USA. Reed, come back and join us again on Over the Ball and let us know, uh, you know what else we can do, because uh, as I said, you're making a difference in people's lives. We need more people like you in this world. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate having me on. All right. Welcome back to Over the Ball, everybody. Well, that was great talking to a Reed. Boy, uh, makes me want to wake up earlier in the morning and really try and do some more with my life and help other people. But uh, what a what, what a an inspiration. Story. Yeah, like, guys, absolutely. I mean, at a time like this, to hear from a guy like Reed, who's really doing the work. There are a lot of people that talk about doing the work. There's a guy who stands at the uh, podium of the White House briefing who talks a lot about doing the work and doesn't really seem to be doing any of it. But uh, somebody like Reed actually is out there just really, really making a difference. And the humility, yeah. Sam. Yeah, yeah no, you just, you, I also really feel for him at a time like this and for all the, you know, players he, he coaches, et cetera, who, you know, look at soccer as, uh, you know, a, a way to come together and such an important thing in their lives. Not to have it right now has to be really tough. You know, we're, uh, we're worried about the EPL restart. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we're not. Really, I'm but, not. Actually. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. Not, you're in Syria, ah, but Italy devastated. So I mean, I'm sure, your friends and connections over there, um, and it's, you know, they're talking about America being like Italy, like the models kind of uh, link up there. For some reason, there's a lot of similarities. So mm -hmm. that country, that country's been through hell. They lost 51 doctors during this coronavirus outbreak. So. Um, and they don't even think, Flinny, that the numbers are remotely close, the ones that have been reported, because so many people chose to die at home rather right. than go to the hospital. And they just, I don't think they're going to, it could be twice the number that's being reported, frankly. Right. And about how important, we talked about it earlier about testing, how important it yeah. is, because you have to know if you've done. And, you know, uh, look, hanging around with players, guys, jocks, athletes, um, they're always cocky. You read, I asked him about getting cut at that time, and he was so, uh, I don't know, just humble and uh, about how it happened. I was a young kid, I was didn't know what I was doing. Da, 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 you know, yeah. usually guys are like, but oh, a coach was a loser, he didn't know, you know. And I think it was a pretty interesting, you know. I remember what my co host before you on uh, on Sirius XMFC, Grail. What, wait, was was there ever a co-host? Yeah, there, there was. A, I don't even remember his name, but I, I think um, trivia, good over the ball trivia. What was his name? So, but he's a player. He goes, I was a player. My dad was a coach, a women's coach, and I played in college. I'm like, oh, wow, great, all right, you know. So we go on, and then he's like, yeah, I played uh, played at Union College, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, you played for Quinny, in a Quinny, and he and his whole face like drops, like, and I realize now it was like basically I busted him. I knew <laughs> I know Quinny. <laughs> and I'm going to say, hey, Gwynny, uh, my co-host is your uh, is one, one of your players. So I started to drill down a little deeper. I'm like, so you played? Yeah. Because he said something about, he goes, well, I took penalty kicks for the team. And I go, oh, all right. And I go, well, you know, I go, so your freshman year, I said, what happened? He goes, well, during preseason, um, uh, my freshman year, I got turd. I broke my collarbone. I go, yeah. So you know, <laughs> he goes, well, she goes, then I, I stopped playing. I'm like. What a collarbone! His freshman year at preseason, yeah, broke his collarbone. Now most yeah. of us would be like, "Yeah, I rehabbed," and then I was back by right. the middle of the season right. or whatever. Right. His was that was the end of his his college career, and he was like, "I go, yeah, you, you didn't play. You can't say you tried out and preseason get hurt and you played there." Oh my God, it's hysterical! Who, who so I'm, you know, Could yeah, so. So I always love these kind of BS stories about your playing career. And then when you actually drill down, people are like, well, I, uh, what was club? Well, don't you remember, though? I don't know about you, but my first preseason, I, it was very intimidating. I, I'd gone from being a very, you know, high-performing high, high school player, but then you're right at the bottom of the heap again, you know, and you're having to prove yourself. And I just remember being really, you know, nervous. You know, you're just trying to prove yourself. There are a lot of guys there that are all this, all that, whatever, 
and, and you know incredible credentials and you're just wondering if you're good enough because you're back at the bottom I, I tell everybody if young players I tell them now when you step on a pitch when you go up a level in college especially then no matter what uh, division it's like because you're playing in college now everybody out there is generally the best athlete in their high school or one of the best ones and the speed, the level, everything is just much faster, and it takes some time to acclimate yourself from it. I was telling a story my freshman year. I knew Pedro de Brito uh, played for UConn, and they were defending national champions, and we, we played them in um, about, I don't know, the, the game was just like, so anyway, I'm doing the preseason, and it's so fast. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just trying to acclimate. Well, then you go step out on the pitch with, you know, a Division One national championship team, and they were they were stacked. They had Joe oh, yeah. Maroney and Pedro DeFrito, Elvis the Murphy, Comrie, Murphy brothers. Yeah. No, no, not no Murphy's. The Murphys were gone. Uh, oh, one okay. was at URI, one was at UConn, yeah. but uh, they had you know all Maroney's and Earhart Cap, bunch of guys who played in the pros. But I stepped over, and Pedro DeBrito just stepped in front of me, knocked me right off the ball, and he goes. He goes, Kevin, you already did that move last time. He was like on to me. Like, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even know I had a move. I'm just trying to get away from you. <laughs> but he read it. It was like uh, just oh, a yeah. whole nother level, but you eventually can sort of acclimate. So, uh, all right. Well, that was great, guys. That was a, that was a good get uh, for an interview this week. I think it was the right tone because, uh, you know, here we are talking about leagues and money and we don't get to watch anybody play. And this is actually a person who's making a difference in people's lives. So, uh, so good stuff, guys. Uh, anything else before we wrap? Just uh, stay healthy. Everybody, please stay healthy. Do do the smart things. Do the yeah, smart stay, things. Stay in. Yeah, get, exactly. get, uh, try to get fit. So I'm having an affair with my Peloton instructor. She doesn't know it, but uh, that's what I'm doing every day. So, By the way, uh, is Chris Cuomo down there in your basement? With in my, you in the, yeah, in the bunker. Okay. Uh, Dick Cheney's down here with me in oh, an undisclosed nice. location. Oh, my so. God. All right. For Over the Ball, everyone, I'm Kevin Flynn. That's Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. We'd like to thank Soccer America and Ticket IQ, our sponsors. Uh, all right. As, uh, as Grail said, stay safe out there, everybody. Let's get through this as a country, and we'll talk to you next time on OTV.